It's just been in queue, and here we go. So this is a great testimony from a single mom in the church, Mindy, right? She was right here. She's gone. There she is. So uh, Mindy, uh, this was in May, and uh, she's had another great testimony since then, so I'll tag that on. She says, thanks, is an email she sent me. Thanks to God. By the way, send me emails. When God's doing things, send them to me so that we can continue to glorify him. When I tell the testimonies, it shows that God's alive, God's at work, God loves us, and it increases your faith to believe God for what you need. So, thanks to God. Oh, well, that's the answer. Let me go down to the problem. Here we go. Pastor John, I know you, oh, my current situation is this. I was laid off for, a, for over a month. I will be able to get unemployment, but it's not enough to cover even my rent each month. I feel very strongly that God is not leading me back right now into the corporate world, but that he wants uh, me to go into health and fitness coaching that I've told you about in the past. I have felt his incessant urgings to do this for many months, so it seems very apparent to me that he lined up these circumstances in such a way that I can focus on building my business while having a bit of a buffer to sustain us in the interim. She has three children, two at home right now. I know this may seem irresponsible from other perspectives, but as you said in a sermon a week or two ago, when God tells you something, you got to follow it no matter what family or friends think or say. Anyway, dot, 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 I'm in a wonderful position for a miracle. <laughs> I love the way she puts that. Because I have a huge problem. My unemployment has not kicked in yet. Five weeks owed to me so far, and it isn't likely to get deposited until maybe next week. I have to pay my rent by Friday. I'm going to have to make $1,321 in the next four days, and that is just to cover rent, nothing else. I'm beginning a new coaching group on Monday, May 6th. And I feel compelled to pray for 100 people to join my next health and fitness accountability group. Largest group I've had in the past was 86. Will you join me in praying for 100? And of course, I will be content with whatever souls he blesses me with. I know you get me on this, so I felt safe to share. I look forward to the testimony. I will be able to share your sister in faith, Mindy. I think it's incredibly commendable, not that there's anything wrong with it, but that she sent this need to her pastor and did not ask for help. She said, I'm going to go to God. And so she sends me an email. Thanks to God's miraculous and divine blessing. I have made over $1,500 these past few days and more is coming, exclamation points. So I paid rent yesterday with no unemployment to help. God is so good. Isn't that a great testimony? Since May, the Lord called her back into the corporate world. And uh, Mindy, are you still around? Oh, Mindy. I wanted her to tell you this last part, but I will. So she got called back into the corporate world, and she is making, she went through uh, three interviews, landed the job, I think it was two weeks ago, and she is making twice the salary that she was before. How awesome is that? 
So that's just good stuff. We call that around here the proof in the pudding. We don't like to just teach about God's faithfulness, but we like to hear about God's faithfulness. And up, oh, too late to the party, sweetheart. I already told off. I stole your thunder. So hey, wait, 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 come here. So you got twice the salary as what you had. Yeah, there it is. Hands raised, raised the roof. So that's accurate? Awesome. I love it when I see single moms trust God and God come through for them. You're a woman of faith. You're awesome. Let's give God praise, you guys. Come on. Yes. Today I want to continue a message. Oh, by the way, I went to uh, our, our sister church in TJ last night. Bella and I went. And uh, God just rocked that place. We have about 10 churches that we serve in northern Mexico, and, and uh, most of the pastors made it and some of the congregation, and whew, it's just so powerful, and the Spirit of God touches people and draws people. You know it's not the preaching, it's not the music, it's not the building, even a building with no lights, God can move in. Did you guys know that? By the way, these lights uh, are supposed to be fixed like any day now, so cross your fingers. But it was a message that I started last week here, and I knew that it was the same message that God wanted me to preach down in Mexico, and that was a message on God's grace. God's grace always liberates us. And the message is, what is your attitude toward those who are far from God? How do you think about them? How do you think about those who are the farthest from God and behaving like they are the farthest from God. What do you, how, do you, how do you view them? How do you think of them? Because the truth is, the way you view people is the way you are going to treat them. The way you view people is the way you are going to treat them. Kind of like in areas of the Middle East, the way they treat women. They're no more valuable than cattle. And I mean that literally. Women have been so dishonored ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. Maybe the way that you view somebody who makes less money than you do. It's amazing. It's amazing how wealth, we can think our network equals our self-worth. I remember I was so broke at one point in my life I couldn't even pay attention. Get it? Couldn't pay our rent. My roommate was paying the rent, buying the groceries. We were seriously suffering financially. That is a pain that I, that, uh, I just don't ever want to feel again. Not knowing where your next meal is going to come from and how you're going to pay your rent. And, uh, and then started tithing. God prospered our business. And uh, we were just flowing in cash. It was awesome. And then I ran into somebody at church, and they didn't have $100 to um, buy or pay some bill or whatever. And I remember this thought came into my mind, that's pathetic. That you can't even come up with 100 bucks. And I could not believe that thought went through my mind. I thought, that is amazing how arrogant we get, can get so quickly. When we have something others don't have, we think we're better. Somebody has less education than you do. We look down on them. Somebody, what about the color of their skin? What about the part of the town they're from? 
What about their political affiliation? Or maybe people who have more money than you do. I hate the term filthy rich. My dad was clean rich. He came by it honestly. He was up every day at 3.30 a.m. And he worked and worked and worked and worked and built an amazing company. And he was rich. And he gave a lot of money and he was, he was such a blessing. I hate that term. But look, that's our attitude, isn't it? Or what about somebody that has more education than you do? Or have a bigger house than you do? Or how about if they're less holy than you are, according to our definition of holiness? And so we treat people based on the way we see them and the way we view them. One time, it was about two years after I got saved. It's just amazing, you guys, how we can come into the kingdom of God by grace. And if we're not careful, we can end up being the very Pharisees that Jesus is going to be talking to us about in the story that we're going to read this morning. I'm standing at work. I'm a salesman. I'm making this cash now. So I'm feeling pretty darn successful and good about myself. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm going to church. Now you got to remember, I used to do drugs, sell drugs, use women. I mean, I was a hedonist. I was an incredibly successful sinner. That's who I was. But now I go to church, read the Bible. I tithe. You know, I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus. And there was a group of teenagers that was over by the movie theater right down the walk from our store. And I was just looking at them, and my brother standing next to me, who just got saved just like a year earlier, he looked at my face. He could read the disdain and self-righteousness on my face. Do you know that those who are far from God can see the self-righteous superior judgmental attitude that you may have toward them on your face and your demeanor why do you think in the scriptures we read last week we'll read it again this morning it says that notorious sinners notorious sinners people who are famous for their sins we're talking about murderers and thieves the tax collectors adulterers prostitutes drunkards notorious sinners often came to jesus to hear him teach wow often came to him to hear him teach not to do miracles to teach the grace coming out of his lips must have been phenomenal The countenance of his face, the look in his eyes, his gentleness, his acceptance, his love. Did he validate their sin? Absolutely not. He came to save us from our sins. The Pharisees, on the other hand, wouldn't even go near them. If they touched him, they they would throw their clothes away and take a shower. So as I'm standing there staring at this group of teenagers, my brother could read my face. And he said to me, as you're standing there judging that group of teenagers over there, imagine a big cross right in the middle of that group with blood running down it. (laughs) Oh, we can become so self-righteous so easily, can't we? So, in the book of Luke chapter 15, we find Jesus 
teaching. And it says in verse 1, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners came and often listened to Jesus teach. And we drop down to, well, actually I'm not going to read it because I read it last week. And I want to get on to the next part of the story. I'll just paraphrase. I want to tell you, those of you that didn't hear, I want to tell you what happened. And then Jerry's going to come up and share testimony real quick. So as I'm reading this parable, if you don't know it, it's a parable of a woman who lost one of her ten precious coins and a headdress that she wears because she was engaged to be married. And that's, that was a dowry that her fiancé gave to her. So losing one of those coins was serious business. And so as I'm studying this, and Lily, my daughter, was sitting on the couch across from me, I was studying this, and I looked down, and my ring was off my finger. And I won't belabor this story because I told you last week, but this does not come off. I have to work it off. It does not fall off, and I never take it off. As I'm reading that story, my ring was gone. I searched all over the house, searched under the couch, searched in my car, searched all over. I could not find it. I go into my closet. I'm standing there in my closet. I checked all the pockets of my clothes, and I said, God, because hope's in Africa, and you don't want to lose your wedding ring when your wife's in another country, and she comes home, and you're like, oh, I lost my ring while you were on the other side of the world. That will not go over well. So I'm looking... So I'm in the closet, and I go, God, show me where my ring is. I look down. It's on the floor in between my feet. That was a divine miracle that he caused this ring to disappear from my finger and then be right in between my feet. And it was while I'm studying God's desire for every soul, every person that's supposed to be part of his bride, to be saved. He's trying to communicate to us, family of God, his heart for every single breathing human being on the planet. If Saul, who was a murderer of Christians, trying to crush the early church by literally taking soldiers into church services, dragging them to prison, and feeding them to the lions, if he, if Jesus went after him and saved him, that means Jesus truly, what an example of the heart of God for every human being, turned him from a persecutor of the, a persecutor of the church to the greatest apostle of the church. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. And we are the bride that is to be looking for every lost coin, every soul, every human being. We must have God's perspective on the lost not our perspective, or we will never reach them. So Jerry, come on up. So last week, as I was opening this message on this very thing, and I was teaching on that lost ring, Jerry and Stephanie were up at an outreach in, in uh, L.A. Tell us about that and tell us what happened. Okay, so we went up to this outreach in L.A. It was a surf competition in Huntington Beach, and there's a lot of people there. Like hundreds and hundreds. So we thought, I bet there's a few lost people there. So we're going to go there and and look for some. And we're going to search till we find some. Search until you find them. Yes. So Steph and I prayed. We said, Lord, will you lead us to someone who needs to hear from you? Of course, it could have been anybody right there. But we prayed. And um, as we're praying and and trying to discern who should we talk to, Right then, these two guys come and sit right in front of us, just like John's lost ring. All of a sudden, we open our eyes after prayer, and there they are. Steph and I look at each other. That is so cool, man. Should we talk to them? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's talk to them. 
And these are kind of young guys, and they kind of look cool, tank tops and tattoos, and they're sitting there, and you're thinking, these guys are just hanging out the beach, you know. Yeah. And, you know. and so we walked up, and we said, excuse me, um, we introduced ourselves, and we said, we're just here at the beach today, and we're just uh, going around asking if people would like prayer. Uh, would you guys like prayer for anything? And the one guy says, well, I'm addicted to drugs. Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> and the other guy says, me too. <laughs> so we start having a conversation with them and about God and how good God is. And then we shared the three circles, three circles evangelism with him and um, asked them if they'd like to, receive, to prayer to receive Jesus. So we led them in a prayer to receive Jesus. And um, the one guy, you know, had tears in his eyes, and he was definitely, you know, moved. Yeah. And um, they just said to us, thank you. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us, to, to take time out of your day to sit and come talk to us. Thank you so much. They were so grateful. Amen. That's how you do it. Awesome. Do we see the mass of humanity like at that surfing competition as druggy surfers or God's lost treasure? That person that you work next to, live next to, live with, go to school with, do you see them as trash or treasure? I'm so glad that the person that kept inviting me to church saw me as God's lost treasure, not as the piece of trash. Look at me and say, that guy would never come to church. He didn't say no for me. As we work toward becoming more like Jesus, if we're not careful, we'll become more like the Pharisees. Luke 15, this chapter, is not so much about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's about the way the Father feels, the way he views and thinks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Do you know who he told this story to? It says, so he told them a story. Who's the them? The Pharisees. He's talking to the self-righteous religious people about the heart of God that they were supposed to be representing to God's people. And so today he's talking maybe to us. And we'll see that the older son in this parable did not have the heart of the father toward his brother. Clark Witten says this, the pastor says, Sadly, the church has forgotten about the Great Commission. Like the Pharisees and scribes, we are playing our silly religious games, pretending to be holy and proclaiming others as defiled. You remember Peter, in Acts chapter 10, uh, a Jew who had become a Christian, who had never eaten unclean meat, unclean food, according to the Jews' dietary uh, commands by God. And he had... So Jesus says, go to all the world and preach the good news to everybody. But they didn't hear everybody. They heard Jews. So up to Acts chapter 10, they had only gone out and preached the gospel to to the Jews. And so Peter was fasting 
and all of a sudden he has this vision of the sheet coming down from heaven with all these unclean animals in it. And God says, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, do not call unclean what I've cleansed. Wow. Completely blew his paradigm. That had been the paradigm for Jews for, what, 3,000 years up to that point? 2,000 years? So Peter, and, and right after the vision, there was a knock on the door, and it was some Gentiles, non-Jews, the dirty, the dirty dogs, those far from God, the sinners. And God said, go with them. Well, you're not allowed to go with them. Against, it's against Jewish law. But he went with them and entered the Gentiles' house. And he got in trouble for it later by the church leadership. We heard you went into Gentiles' houses. He goes, yeah, but let me tell you a story. And they're like, oh, maybe God wants the Gentiles saved too. Because <laughs> Peter said, as I was in their house and I was preaching, in the middle of my sermon, God just went, Poof, and just baptized them all in the Holy Spirit. And they all started speaking in tongues and prophesying. They're like, oh, well, maybe God cares about them too. If you and I, and I want to say this directly to all of us, if our primary mission in life is not drawing others to God through Jesus Christ, we will always live with a spiritual question mark about what is God's purpose for my life. That's it. I don't think he cares if you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or domestic engineers, we like to call it now, or or a banker, or a, a, a custodian. I, I, he's hardwired you and I for certain things, and we have passion for certain things, and he'll bless us in that. But what do you do in that occupation? Are you representing Jesus to your mission field, those around you? That is our mission in life. And if you don't have that mission as your primary mission, praying for your harvest field, seeing God move on those around you, you will become bored with your Christianity. Because it can't be all about me, 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 me. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. Looking for the next blessing. That becomes a lake, not a river. God's called us to be rivers of living water, not lakes that become stagnant and nasty. And all these bugs in in this algae begins to grow. And we become critical about church and critical about the sermon and critical about my brothers and sisters in Christ, and critical about there's only four lights on inside the theater, and critical about, and critical about and so we start to nitpick these little things. Why? Because we're not focused on the harvest. We're not about what Jesus is about. You know, one day the curtain's going to drop, and it's over. And Jesus is depending on his bride to find every lost coin. I think about you, Gary, going to that man's house that's blind. He was a Muslim, and he was, what, like 80? 87 years old. And when Stephanie, who was up here doing the announcements earlier, Jerry's wife, well, actually Jerry's her husband, (laughs) and they... They talked to him about Jesus. He didn't get saved, but Gary went back and has gone back to the guy's house, like what, every week? For months. 
And, and, and they, you know, Stephanie thought he, the guy had repented, but Gary found out that he didn't understand English real well. So he actually uh, thought they were talking about repainting, not repenting. Have you repainted? Yeah, look. <laughs> and Gary was not so sure as he was talking to the guy. And so he made sure he understood what repenting means. Oh, no, I haven't done that. Yeah, I didn't think so. So he met with him and met with him and met with him and met with him and met with him. And the man finally came to Christ. Jesus searched until he found. And put him on his shoulders, the sheep, and walked him home. That's who we must be. Look at the Bible says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. That means there's a battle over souls. And we win or we lose. That's the game that we are playing. It's all about souls. We are in the boat. We are safe. In these parables, at the end of each one, they throw a party. And it says, heaven has more joy, more joy over one sinner who repents than all the rest of us who don't need to repent because we're already in. And so when church members see the leadership get more excited about a new member or a new salvation, you have to realize that our excitement is over the fact that they have just been rescued. And if we lose sight of that, we lose sight of what God's looking at. We lose the heart of God. I like this quote from Chris Larkin. He says, this is not what you'll hear on Judgment Day. Chris Larkin, our youth pastor who was up here. Well done, good and faithful church attenders. You're not going to hear that. Well done, my good and faithful servants. And if we're serving him, we are serving the world with the message of grace. So, the parable of the lost son. We looked at hmm. We looked at the the sheep and the coin. Now we're going to look at the son. He says in verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth with his two sons. That is such an insult, it's unfathomable. Jesus is about to paint the worst picture a religious mindset could ever endure. Right off the bat. Dad, I want my inheritance, even though you're not dead yet. I just want your money. If we're not careful, that's us. We don't actually want a relationship with God. We just want his stuff. One day God said to Moses, okay, look, I'm going to let you guys go up into the promised land, and you are going to have all your wildest dreams come true, like Pedro said in Napoleon Dynamite, right? Just tell them all their wildest dreams will come true. And so God says to Moses, all your wildest dreams are going to come true. I'm going to send my angel with you, but I'm not going. I wonder how many of us would say, all right, that works for me. 
I'm going to heaven. That's good enough. I can get a bunch of stuff now. Woo! This is awesome. Moses said, if you're not going, I'm not going. I would rather live in the desert with God than the promised land without God. Whew, come on. And God said, all right, I'll go. <laughs> and he a great God. Oh, my gosh. Oh. The younger brother did not ask for his inheritance. He demanded it. Give me. He didn't want to prove his stewardship by saying, give me a little bit. Let me invest it. Let me show you that. I can be responsible with my money. He just wanted it all so that he could just go blow it. The father gave him what he asked for, even though he knew it would not be good for him. Do you know, sometimes God will do that. When we beg him and 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 beg him for something, they'll say, all right. He did that with Israel. They begged him for a king like all the other nations. We want to be like everybody else in the world. We don't like being a peculiar people. We don't like being different than everybody else at school, everybody else at work, everybody else in my neighborhood, everybody else in my family. I don't like being... I don't like being one of God's people. We're strange. We're different than the rest of the world. Our value system is different. We don't like it. We get laughed at. We want a king like everybody else. God says, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a human king. And God said, all right. I mean, it hurt his heart. And he told the prophet, go ahead and give him a king. But tell him it's not going to be good for him. And so he he warned him, okay, God's going to give you guys a king and it's not going to be good for you. And guess what? It was not good for them at all. Many times, God will let us experience what we think is best so that we can come to the place where we realize that He knows best. Can you see the father? Verse 13. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Can you imagine the father... Downstairs, listen to his son. Listen to his son packing upstairs. Listen, moms and dads, when your children don't embrace your value system and they leave home, it's not always because of you. This was the perfect father in this parable. And his own son didn't want a relationship with the father, he just wanted the world. Adam and Eve had a pretty good dad. Provided everything for them in the Garden of Eden. Walked with them in the cool of the day. But they saw something shiny. And Satan said, go for it. And God told them, if you do that, you're going to die spiritually. And that's exactly what happened. And so here we have hell on earth now ever since. Bill and I were talking last night on our way to Mexico. How strange it is that to have a relationship with God seems strange. Or to say God talks to me as though that makes you some kind of weird person. I think the people that God doesn't talk to are the weird ones. Because we were created by him for him. 
And so having a relationship with God is the most normal thing that a human being could do, which is why life does not work without a relationship with God. And if we have a relationship with our father, anyone that has a relationship with a father who doesn't talk to them, there's a problem in the relationship. It bothers me when believers say that God hasn't talked to me in a long time. That's not true. That's just shame talking to you. That's fear talking to you. Our Father is a great Father, and He will talk to you every day in so many different ways. Can I hear a great amen on that one? Because I just undid a lie right there. His son was far from his father, and he was living an extremely ungodly and irresponsible life, but the father still loved him. You remember, this is about the heart of the father to those farthest from God as compared to the heart of the Pharisees looking at those who are far from God. You've got to remember what group we need to be in. We want to be in the heavenly group that's celebrating over those that come to Christ, not in the religious group that is criticizing them. In verse 14, he goes on and says, About the time, that time, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. God will set up conditions to allow people to come to the end of themselves so they will wise up and turn to him. That's how much God loves us and wants us. If we keep running away from him, he will allow things just to fall apart so that we will come to our senses, the Bible says. It says he came to his senses. It says in verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You know, when people are not walking with God, they're far from God, and we see them looking like they're having a good time, that can be incredibly deceiving. The Bible says there is no peace for the wicked. We can be fooled to think on the outside, oh my, they are really living the life, but we do not know what's going on on the inside. Actually, we do. There's no peace. There's emptiness and lostness. There may be temporary fun and excitement, But on the inside, there's misery. Because a life apart from God is miserable. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter if you have a great relationship or no relationship. On the inside of the human heart is a place designed for God and God alone. And if he is not in there, there is misery. You could think that this kid was just having a blast The father doesn't know where he's at. There were no cell phones. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what he's doing, except he knows that he did not want the lifestyle the father had set up. And he ran off to live his own lifestyle. And you can think he's got a bunch of money. He's out there partying. He's probably having a great time. And yet, the real picture was he was broke and so hungry and so destitute, even the pods that the pigs had already eaten, it was just what was left over, looked good to him. Some of those who you think are the farthest from God are actually the closest to coming to God because they are the most miserable. 
that guy that I used to work with in the construction side, if he looked at me on the outside, I was happy-go-lucky. I was doing good, had a girlfriend, had a great job. I was partying with my friends. I mean, it looked like it was all good. He did not know what was going on on the inside of me. I was empty, and I had a massive question mark. What is life about? Seventeen and nineteen. When he came, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, "At home, at home, <laughs> even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father." I have sinned against both heaven and you. People know they are sinning. Down deep, the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. What's the purpose? To shame them? No. To draw them back to God. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Conviction is a gift from God. Our conscience is given to us by God to keep us away from things that separate us from God. The worst thing a person could do is to keep sinning against their own conscience until it becomes, the Bible says, seared or hard. His brother is so self-righteous at home, obeying all the rules. His brother was closer to God than he was, meaning he's right at the doorstep. If you looked at him, the owner, the farmer that hired this guy, and you see his riotous living or those that were partying with him, you would think he's so far from God. He was like this close to the front door of God's home. And in one moment, he came to his senses and said, I'm going home. The important thing in life isn't where you are, but in which direction you're headed. And your and my job is to help people find their way back home. Did you know the word priest literally in the Hebrew means bridge builder? There's lost people. There's God. And I'm a priest. The Bible says when you and I come to Christ, we become a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of bridge builders. That's a really good word right there. (laughs) Yes. Verse 20. Here's where the big divide comes, family of God. This is when the divide comes. He's about to drop the hammer on the religious spirit. You remember, there's a whole crowd of people there. You got those that are far from God, the dirty people. And then you have the religious people, the two groups. And here Jesus set this whole nasty, disgusting, pathetic, uh, just uh, reprehensible condition of this sinner. And the Pharisees are like, ooh, this son's going to get it when he comes home. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. How?
how do you think the father saw him coming a long way off? Every day, man. Is the church doing this? Are we doing this? Are we looking? Are we looking and looking and looking a far way off? Until we find him, her, and become a bridge builder and help them come back home to God. His father saw him coming filled with love and compassion right there. Boom! The Pharisees' minds, their hearts just go, they were so angry at Jesus in this moment right here. Love and compassion, he's dead to me. A Jewish father would say to a son who did what this son did. We've all done it. And he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Oh, can you see the Pharisees' faces? Kissed him. And his son says to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no worthy, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, get the finest robe in the house and put it on him and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Kill the calf that's been fattened, not the cheap one, the good one. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and his return to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, all right, now here's the whole point to this whole setup. This is about us. If we don't kill that little Pharisee on the inside of all of us, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and the father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. There's a fairness issue going on here. I'm going to read the rest of this so we can get this in context. I'm going to comment on it. But he replied, Oh, but his father came out and begged him. And he replied, All these years I've slaved for you. There's the problem right there. This older son did not have a love relationship with the father. He had a working relationship with the father. He was not working. He was working for his father's love, not from his father's love. So everything was was recorded and rewarded. Everything was calculated. All my good works, all my good deeds, all my church attendance, all my tithing, all my Bible reading, all all my praying. It's all being calculated up so that the father will love me. I feel guilty when I'm not doing what's right. 
And this son goes off and pops off, and he says that he's never transgressed one of his father's rules, which is not true, but that he's talking to the Pharisees in the group. You all think that you've never sinned against God, and so you're throwing these people under the bus. it's, It's not true. But he thinks that he deserves the party. Look what he says. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, the religious spirits mean, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. He doesn't know that. He doesn't know what his brother was doing. I've never sinned in my brothers with prostitutes. You see that? You see that great extreme description he's popping off? He doesn't know. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said, look, my dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but he was found. This is very, very difficult for us because grace is offensive. Grace seems unfair because it is is that's why it's so offensive it's unfair what we hit what he didn't realize what we don't realize in, in this is he was not rewarding his younger son for bad behavior he was celebrating that he's home the other son god does reward faithfulness the bible is all full of rewards to those who are faithful I remember this one time this pastor was on staff, and there's another pastor on staff, and there's a senior pastor. And, every, and this, this one pastor was working so hard, working so hard, praying for people, counseling people, reading the word, preaching the word. And then every time he walked by this other pastor's office, he was asleep on his desk, had his head on his desk, <laughs> sleep at work. It so annoyed him. I'm working so hard for this church. I'm working so hard for my pastor. And every time I walk by this guy's door, he's sleeping. So at one point, he finally got fed up. He goes, I got to tell the senior pastor. He goes, in, it's a true story. He goes into the senior pastor's office. And he says, sir, I need, to, I need to tell you something. Uh, sure. I've been working really hard for you. My office is right below your office. And I get on my knees and I pray for you every day. I'm in the Word. I'm counseling people. I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. And I just got to tell you, sir, that Bob, every time I walk by his office, he's asleep on his desk, his head on his desk. And he said when his pastor put down his pen and just kind of leaned back in his chair like this, he said he knew he was in trouble. He said, let me ask you a question. Who do you work for? And he thought, oh, I got to get this right. Um, he thought, and he thought, and he thought. He said, God. He said, that's right. And God knows, God sees. He went back to work. This pastor walks out of his office. He's like, I want to go get the guy a pillow. <laughs> I hope you have a nice nap. God does reward faithfulness, but that's not what this was about. This was about rescue. The son did not know the father's love, neither. 
The older son did not know the love of the father. You say, how is that possible? He's lived in the father's house for years. He grew up in his father's house. How could he not know the father's love? I like to ask us the same question. How could we live in the father's house for so long and not know his love? I've used up all my time. The older son confused these two categories, one of rescue and the other one of reward for faithfulness. If he truly knew his father, if he was close to his dad, he would know his heart. He would see his younger brother the way that his dad did. He would be kicking back at his dad's table, eating the best of the foods, because not because he's earning it, just because he's a son in the house. And he and his dad would be laughing together, working together, enjoying each other's fellowship. And yes, working in the field, but not as a servant, as a son. And he'd see his dad's broken heart, and he would join him in that, not despise his younger brother because he sees the pain of his dad every day and he knows that his brother is the source of his dad's pain so he's he hates his brother he wishes he was dead and he may felt that he was he was actually gaining more favor with his dad i'm going to make up for my brother by actually being even doubly good at home one to remove the pain from my father's heart but also i'm going to garner more favor with my dad because i'm the good son and then the dad throws the dude a party You see, if we're working on a works mentality and getting what we deserve mentality, we don't understand the heart of the Father. But if we truly understood the heart of the Father, He would realize, me and Dad are good, and He gives me everything. The whole kingdom is mine. Jesus said, it's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we're good. But my, my brother, man, he's, he's lost. He's deceived. He's, he's, he's just not right in his head. Dad, let's pray that he comes home one day. I know it would just make your heart so happy. And his brother could have been looking for his brother too. And when he saw him coming home, he could have celebrated with the joy of his father's heart. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that need no repentance. We need to be in, we need to, We need to celebrate with heaven. We need to have heaven's joy in our hearts. We need to be on heaven's page for every sinner on the planet. Let's come to God together, family. Just open your hands heavenward. I want you to arrest in the name of Jesus any religious attitude you might have toward the unchurched, the unsaved, those who are far from God. Just go ahead and come to the Holy Spirit right now and say, and I mean this, just ask Him. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal the little Pharisee in me right now. Just just get alone, get quiet with Him, and just ask Him. Say, Lord, if there's anything in me that's like the older son, I'm asking you right now to kill it. And now I'm going to ask you to pray a dangerous prayer. 
Ask God to give you his heart for those that are far from him. He'll do it if you're sincere about it. Ask him. God give you the eyes to see from this day forward there's no one too far two drug addicts on a bench up in LA and they get saved like picking apples off a tree nobody's too far from God ask him again sincerely right there Say, God, give me your heart for those who are far from you. Just pray that. And pray this. Say this out loud. Make me a bridge builder. Let's go ahead and pray that off your lips. Make me a bridge builder. I want to help you, God. Draw those who are farthest from you back home. You may be in here today and you are the one that is far from God. Maybe you're raised in church and you're far from God and you know it. And it's not working for you. You're not happy. You won't be happy till you come back to the Father's house, back home. Come home. You know, your litmus test with God is when tragedy strikes, when you don't get what you were wanting, and so you bail on your relationship with God. That's the litmus test of where you were to begin with. So come back home. Let Him restore your joy. Let's all stand.